Brian is the pastor of Ignite City Church, their new church plant, and uh, just thriving down in Southern California. And he's been our guest many, many times here at Heartland, just preaching God's word. He loves people. He loves God's word. He loves Jesus. And he's uh, agreed to make that long drive all the way from Southern California to open God's word with us this morning. And so please welcome Brian Holland as he comes to share. Well, good morning. Okay, it's not. Okay, <laughs> it's okay. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Mark chapter 10. And if you don't have your Bibles, we'll be in Mark chapter 10. I think kiddos, you're supposed to go, right? 12 and I'll take your job, Brian. That's fine. Um, I've got my act together. Kids, you're out of here. You don't want to listen to me anyways. You're going to have some fun. All the adults are stuck. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, when, um, just piggybacking off what Brian said about that worship service. Did, I mean, this thing's kind of starting to, you see little pockets of water just kind of weighing in. I thought, oh man. And so I've got this mic on and this pack on. And so I'm trying to cover it like this and not get shocked. And, and I thought, okay, we'll just move. And the kids just went nuts. And I think it was that night. And not nuts like in a battery, like all of a sudden just having water fights. I mean, it wasn't like that. It was just, they kept going. And then that, I think it was that night or one of the evenings, <clears throat> um, I'm a, I'm a camp kid. I came to Christ when I was 17 at a camp. Um, and so camp ministry always has this massive place in my life. Um, and I've done camps for 20-something years or something, as well as getting the pastor. Um, and it's weird. The first night, the kids are just the hands in the pocket, just kind of sitting there. You have a couple that are ready to go. But usually by the end of the week, they're a little into it. And these kids, I remember I, I came up to start the message, and they flocked. They, I mean, they flocked to the front. And it wasn't, I don't believe in trying to create an experience so the experience is worshipped more than Jesus. But I'm, I'm also going to listen to Paul when he says, I want to know Christ. And that word know means to experience him. And I know that maybe for some reason, maybe you struggle with this. Like, I don't know, experience, that's evil. Isn't it amazing that when it comes to Jesus, we get nervous about it, but we want to experience life. I guess we, we, go, we go fishing, we have this experience with our friends, and we're having these memories. But what Paul says, I want to know Christ. Like, I want to experience him. And how much do I want to experience Christ? I want to know the power of his resurrection. That's, I mean, I want to know that. And I want to know the power, like the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. It's like, I don't want to just know the mountaintop. I want to know the agony that he went through. When I saw these kids just going for it, in worshiping Jesus, I just looked at the band and said, hey, guys, hold, hold on. We're going to get going again. I just challenged the students, guys, just worship Jesus. Don't stop. And I just stood over there on the side. And, What's the last time you had a preacher not preach for a while? It's like the preacher gets up. Okay, now let me bore you. And it's, it's like, okay. And then, and then it, and it's like, hey, and we're going to close. And that always means like another 20 minutes of keeping going. I know what it means. I've, I've, done, I've been doing this for a while. I just stood on the side, and I was just so blessed. And when Stephen said, hey, there's this onslaught against our students, against our youth of today. Friends, isn't it amazing? And this has nothing to do with the message, but I just want to keep challenging us. We, pray, we, we, did pray, we need to pray for our kids and our youth. Guys, I think since God created humanity, there's always been an attack on two key people. One is women. Why? Because they're the pinnacle of God's creation. Like, look at how God creates. And then there's the pinnacle, which was Eve. 
women and children. Why kids? You ever look at the Gospels and how often Jesus would pick up a kid and love a kid? Remember the disciples are trying to keep the kids away from Jesus? And the Bible says that Jesus became indignant. Guys, if you want to tick Jesus off, keep kids from coming to him. Do you know how, you know how defensive Jesus is over kids? Remember when he said something like, okay, what's it like? It's like this. Anyone who causes one of my little ones to stumble, one of these little ones to stumble, it's better that, how do I get this? Do you understand it? It's better that a millstone be tied around your neck and you thrown into the middle of the, red, or the, middle, the, middle of the, of the sea. It'd be better that that happened than I get a hold of you. You're like, no, that's not Jesus. Friends, Jesus is not always nice, but he's always good. And he loves the kids. And I'm telling you, over the centuries, has it not been the same? An attack on the women an attack on kids, and we pray. And friends, the mission of the church has not changed. The effectiveness and the movement of the gospel of Jesus, it hasn't changed. It's still continuing to move forward. So I say that God does great things, and God is doing great things. The places that we see, the places that we don't see, but what I pray is that you're seeing in yourself as well. That's why we're going to continue to open the word. So if you don't mind, can we pray together? We're going to jump in. Mark chapter 10. Father, we pause before we speak to you for your God. And how often do I just jump into my list of what you should do rather than stopping and remembering, who am I speaking to? You spoke everything into existence. You're eternal. You're outside of time, and yet you live inside of time. You breathed out every star and know every star by name. And you know us. You called us, those of us who, who are followers of Jesus, we only know you because you came for us. You called us. You wooed us. We weren't ever looking for you until you came and got us. And so, Father, I pray that you would speak mightily to us this morning from your word by your spirit. Holy Spirit, you would help us to see and help me make much of Jesus. I pray that you would challenge and convict us and encourage us, whatever is necessary to make us look more and more like Jesus. We love you, God, and we thank you for an opportunity to gather. I pray your blessing over this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone who agrees says, amen. Mark chapter 10, starting verse 46. And they came to Jericho, and as he, that's Jesus, as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. Guys, you've been driving along or walking along, and you, and you meet someone that might be like Bartimaeus. We just don't know their name. I love the fact that in our Bible reading plan for our church community, we've gone through this passage over the last week, both here in Mark and Matthew and Luke. And you, you notice Mark is the only one who names them. Nobody else named them, and I don't know why. I don't think it's a slam on the others. I think the scriptures are inspired by God. But Mark names them, and here's why I'm so thankful for it, because every single person that we come in contact with has been created in the very image of God. And it's very easy for us to maybe walk by or justify why we won't or, hey, I'm going to help this. And whatever it is that goes through our minds in those moments, we have to realize that every human being on the planet is created, created in the very image of God and have intrinsic value. Whether born or unborn, they have intrinsic value because God has knit them together, that God has put them together. Those people, how often have I passed by thinking, well, I'm too busy? 
you've been driving along and someone's broken down the road. It's like, well, I, I would help, but I need to get somewhere. And you know, it's like, maybe you have a time thing that you have to keep, but you have to get past. Or do you ever think that maybe God would actually ask you to make a U-turn to help somebody? It's like, no, no, it's always going to be on my way because then I know it's God. It can't be out of my way. It's got to be on my Then I know God made this amazing connection. I love the fact that this is a guy that we don't know. His, we do know his name when all the other rest of the gospel uh, accounts don't mention who he is. This is Bartimaeus. This is somebody's son. And he's blind. And think, guys, I don't know how long he's been blind. It doesn't say. But his daily activity would be the same thing. Brought to a specific place. He would take his cloak, which we'll notice in a little bit, take his cloak, place it down in front of him, ask for people to give him money, and then he would take the money and place it on his cloak. It's like his bank. That's what he would do day after day after day. And we have to remember that in this day, this was the belief that if you were healthy and wealthy, then you were blessed by God. You were doing things correctly. But if you weren't, then people actually believed that God was cursing you because there must be sin in your life. We would never think that today, right? And we don't get people that are making millions of dollars off of people and talking about just need more faith. And if you send me money, then I will send you a handkerchief with my sweat on it and you can get healed. Like we don't have that happening today. We don't look at only the blessings of God as the good things that happen in our life. But how many, by a show of hands, how many of you have had to go through something that has been so horrific for you or family? And when you've come through it, you look back and realize, man, God, you did something through that and in that that never would have happened had you not allowed it or brought it into my life. Can you raise your hands? Now, can you look around and can we still say that in the low parts, not just the mountaintop experience, but the valleys, that God is still blessing us? Guys, I know we like the phrase, God will never give you more than you can handle. Where the heck did that come from? It's like it's in the Bible. It's in Second Revelation chapter 2, and like it's not there. You know what the Bible actually says? When Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says this, hey, we were so utterly burdened beyond our ability to endure. But this happened that we might not rely upon ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Will God give you more than you can handle? Absolutely. Why? Why wouldn't he? Guys, do you think God wants, to, wants us to rely completely on him, and then we automatically start making our lives fit to where we can become a little bit more self-reliant? Why would God want us to be self-reliant when we can have him? So if you're going through it, like right now is a difficult season, of course we need to check. I need to check my life in those times. God, is there anything that I've done that's brought this about? But it's not always like, hey, there's sin. Maybe I've just mad, made bad decisions, and these are the after effects of the decisions. But other times, when I got the phone call from my wife that she had cancer 15 years, oh, 16 years ago now, I remember like it was yesterday. And as much as I don't want to go through it again, I would never trade it. Because I never knew that me and God could be like this. And the thing that brought me through it, you know what it was about God that brought me through it? His love. Nope. If a person walked up and said, you know that God still loves you, that would not have changed my mind at all. I was still angry. You been there? <gasps> he was angry. Did you tell God? I told him a lot. How dare you? No, the guys, think about it. Some of you guys are really polite prayers, but you won't tell God the truth. So you're just liars. Have you ever read the, you ever read the Psalms and think, David, you're a, little, you're a little bit out of your mind. 
Like one woman's like, this is the best thing ever, ever. And then next some, I want to die. It's like he's all over the place. Isn't it beautiful to read the Psalms and I can just go to God honestly? Because he already knows. And he remembers my frame. He knows that I'm made of dust. And as a father shows compassion on his child, so God shows compassion on me. Where do I get that? Psalm 103. Yes, he's so patient. He's a good, he's a good God, but he's a good dad. Here's Bartimaeus going through such a hard time. Verse 47, when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Guys, I don't even know where he is in this moment. I don't know if he's, I'm guessing he's toward the back. That's my guess. I don't know. I have, I have no clue. It was customary in that day, and it doesn't say in the passage, but it was kind of normal that this would happen, that as a rabbi, and Jesus would be considered a rabbi, as a rabbi was teaching, he would walk along. Remember, he's going from Jericho. He's on his way to Jerusalem. Anyone know why he's going to Jerusalem? He's going there to die. But he's walking. No one's having to convince him. Nobody's dragging him. No one drugged him and then walked him over. He's going on his own. Why? Because for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What's the joy? Us. For us, he's walking to his death to experience the full and complete wrath of God. But on the way, picture a rabbi, his disciples, and this massive crowd. It says this large crowd is there. So it's customary that a rabbi, as he walked along, he would teach his disciples as he walked, and they would listen. So maybe Jesus is walking along, and this crowd is getting to hear Jesus speak. And as he's going along, this guy in the back, he hears that it's Jesus of Nazareth. And what's he do? He doesn't politely do this. Is, it, is now a good time? Can I say something? Guys, he interrupts the message. Oh, no. Like, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Why use that title, son of David? Guys, you realize that the blind guy recognized Jesus to be the Messiah. When he says son of David, he's declaring him the Messiah in front of the crowd. And what's the crowd's response? Verse 48, and many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. What? Because this is the same Jesus that when you see him in Mark, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 4, guys, he's healing paralytics. It's one of my favorite passages in Mark chapter 2. Remember when Jesus heals the, the paralyzed guy? The house is packed. It's actually Simon Peter's house. And he's got his wife. And you imagine Jesus is sitting there and he's teaching and it's packed. There's tons of people, tons of people outside just trying to hear anything. And he's just teaching. All of a sudden, four friends, at least four show up. Hey, we got to get our friend to him. And they're looking at him going, we're going to get you to Jesus. And they're like, hey, it's too crowded. What do we do? Mm, let's think outside the box. Let's go on the roof. Let's dig a hole. We'll drop him down. We'll just lower him down. Can you imagine the friend in the cot going, oh, I don't want to do that. I'm not up for that. They're like, what are you going to do about it? And so they just take him. They take him to the roof. They start digging through a dude's roof. This isn't their house. Can you imagine Simon over here? And all of a sudden, cut black. More, his wife going, I don't know. And you look at Jesus going, and Jesus is like, I know, this is great. Keeps digging, keeps digging. And all of a sudden, the guy's still in the room going, I don't want to do this. Shh. You, have no, you have no choice. You can't move. Just start to move him out, lower him down. How awkward is it? How y'all done? So he just comes floating down. Guys, he cut in line. Can you imagine the four friends looking through the hole they just made? They're like, shut in here. And one of the guys the guy on the ground says, going, And he looks at the guy, and he says, what? 
hey, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> Great, that's why I'm here. That's, like, was that why he was there? His friends brought him to so he could walk. Can you imagine Jesus? Jesus knows this. It's not like Jesus going, I'll just forgive your sins and you can go back. He says, your sins are forgiven. And then he looks around and he says, so that everyone here knows that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sin because only God can forgive sin. Then he looks at the man and says, do me a favor, get up, grab your mat, and walk. Imagine the friends going, this is it. <laughs> is he going to do it? Is he gonna... What did it feel like? What did it look like? What did the friends think when all of a sudden this guy goes, <sighs> guys, and would it be like Jesus to just give this guy abs? So he didn't just like roll over and try to get up, but he's like, spam. Maybe he did that kick thing and he pops up. And he's like, what? Everyone looking, oh, religious leaders in the back going, whoa, 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 what do we do with this? But four friends up at the top, high five at each other. What's the first thing you think they did? Don't you think they tried to get off that roof as quickly as they could to go find their friend? Wouldn't it stink if one of them tripped and went paralyzed? That's just the worst way. It's like you just <laughs> you just trade places. And what did what uh, guys? Be honest, men. What's one of the first things you do to your buddy? He can walk now. Isn't one of the first things you would do would be this? Want to race? Right? Who would do it? I would. And again, wouldn't it be just like Jesus to make sure this guy could run like a cheetah? Bam! He just takes off. Jesus healed, healed paralytics. He took demon-possessed people in freedom. He healed the deaf, healed the blind. He's fed thousands of 20,000-plus people the little boys' lunch. No, Brian, it says 5,000. It says 5,000 men. You really think that he looked at the women and children and said, not for you, this is man time. Because he picked a five-year-old, he picked an eight-year-old's eight lunch, five loaves and two fish. Picture five barley loaves and two sardines, like five Twinkies and two sardines. That's what he had, and he feeds 20,000-plus people until they're full. Friends, this is the, these are the things that Jesus had been doing. And as he's walking along, and, he's, and he's, he's teaching his disciples, and there's this guy in the back, and who knows? Bartimaeus can't see. Maybe he's facing the wrong way. He's like, Jesus, son of David, he's just screaming and interrupting the, quote, Bible study. And all the while, there's a man who needed to be brought to Jesus but they might have been so focused on another Bible study that they forgot about the mission of bringing people to Jesus. Guys, I love, I love the Word of God. But did you know that when Christians get together, we don't always have to open the Bible for a Bible study? Guys, we could just have chips and guacamole because it's right and godly. We said, oh, no, ah, see, I knew he was going to be this one of these guys doesn't believe the Bible. Guys, I believe every single word of this book. I believe it's an errand. It's perfectly written. But my time on this planet, why do I spend time in the Bible so I can win trivia pursuit by the time I get to Jesus? That I can stand their family feud, one hand behind my back, talking to Steve Harvey. I'm a young man, Steve Harvey. It's like I can slap and go, hey, I'm in the game. Or is the purpose of the Bible that I might know Jesus better? That I could love him more, that I could speak to him, he could speak to me. That I can relate, I can know my plight and his remedy. Isn't that the purpose of the word? And then we take the word of God and we take the message of the gospel. And guys, the gospel is from cover to cover. It's Genesis to Revelation. It's the whole story. We take this gospel and do what? Go make disciples. 
That's what we do. It's not me memorizing so I can say how much I know. It's me spending time with Jesus so I can look at everything and go, man, I know that God so well. And I know him better than I did 10 years ago, but there is so much more to learn. I can't wait to spend more time with him. And the times I'm not in it, what am I doing? God, is this the one? God, is this the one I'm supposed to impact? Are we looking at it like that? Friends, I've been doing pastoral ministry for a little while, almost 30 years. 17 of it with youth. Five of it with uh, young adults and the rest kind of launching this new thing and just recently started started getting it going. Guys, things are different. And yet I don't say that to make us go, yeah, I miss the good old days. Guys, isn't it true that the, sh- the, the light shines brightest when it's darkest? Do you realize the message of the gospel has never changed? And do you realize that every generation since God has created people, has always thought their generation is the worst time in history. Every single one. But it's different, right? What happened? We can start blaming. All of a sudden we start, can I, I'm only here for a day. I mean, what are you going to fire me? So I'm just going to bring it, see what happens. We'll start blaming, like, why vote this way? And it's always those people that did it wrong. Whatever side you vote on. Isn't it weird we only have two options? It's always the other people that did it. I had nothing to do with this. Friends, in Genesis chapter 3, the Bible tells us we broke it. We broke it. We're all responsible for it. Why are things changing? Is it possible that at some point we, the church, forgot about the mission to go make disciples? It's not just on a Sunday morning, bring them to a worship service and see if God does something. It's every single follower of Jesus out meeting people, introducing them to Jesus. Brian, you're an extrovert. I am not an extrovert. I'm such an introvert. I love being by myself. But Brian, you get to preach, so that's what you do. Guys, I don't want to be one of those pastors like, hey, I'm bold when I'm behind a pulpit. When I'm just out and about with people, I don't talk to a soul because I'm focused on the pulpit. Friends, I'm a disciple of Jesus first, and I've been so convicted over the last many years. First and foremost, I need to be out there meeting people. And isn't it amazing how quickly we can just order anything on an app so we don't have to meet people? I mean, I can order lunch, and it's sitting there ready, and when I go in, I can pull it out, bring it back. Guys, you know how how embarrassing it gets to to walk up to somebody and try to start a conversation about Jesus? How do I start? I don't hold hold up the Bible. What do you think about this book? (laughs) Hey, uh, if you died right now, what would happen? Do you believe in hell? I don't go there. I try to start this way. I'm a follower of Jesus. Is there something I can pray for you about? Just start there. And guys, there's times where they go, uh, world peace. I'm like, I don't think you mean it. Then there's other times I remember this this little, this is during, this is during COVID, everything's shut down. So I walked a lot. And so I'm walking up and there's walking and there's this short, tiny little black grandma. And I thought, okay, there's only one out here. So I'm going to guess this is the one. And so I go walking up and thinking, okay, do this very slowly. Don't just like walk up. Hey, how you doing? Because I don't want her to go to the hospital. So I, I, I have distance between us. I say, how are you doing today? I'm, I'm, I'm doing well. Okay. Hey, I'm a Christian. I'm on a prayer walk. Can I pray for you about anything while I'm walking? And no joke. She stopped. She goes, can you pray for my grandson, Anthony? He needs to be healed. I went, 
I can pray for Anthony. I said, can I keep walking with you? Do you mind if I walk with you? Does that make you nervous? And if it does, it's okay. She goes, I would love if you walked with me. And I was like, this is fantastic. This is great. And so here I am, massive white guy, tiny little black woman. All we had in common in this moment was what? We both could walk and asked if I could pray with her. And she just told me her story. I couldn't believe how much she just started opening up. And at that moment, I, I was, this is what I was going to say. I said, do you have a, are you a believer? I have one of those I was going to throw out. And she goes, I'm part of a church down the street. You go, Brian, what did you do? You made no impact for eternity. But at least I tried. Guys, if you can't remember the last time you brought Jesus up with somebody, are you disobedient or obedient to the Great Commission? It's not from the distance. It's all of us going out. And yes, it's terrifying. I get it. I'm with you. But think about it. God has invited you and me to impact eternity. Guys, don't you want to live in such a way that when you get to heaven, God's going to sit and go, you see that section? It's because you said yes to the one. And then that one went and shared with one. And all of those went and shared with one. And what if you just try to find the one this week? And what if every week you found the one? That's 52 people that you're impacting with the gospel. And what if one of them is just a guy named Bart? They just told him to be quiet because they couldn't keep their Bible study going. And so Bart's response, <laughs> he cried out all the more, I love this guy. Like, I really want to meet him one day in heaven. Go, Bart, tell me what happened. Because he just starts screaming out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And watch Jesus' response in verse 49. Jesus stopped and said, call him. Can you imagine Jesus? I hear him. I hear him. He's looking at his disciples. They're like, what was number three again? I didn't get it. I didn't get to fill in the blank because the dude wouldn't shut up. Like, what was it? Can you imagine Jesus stopping going, hello, could you call him? You know, the one who's calling for me. Could we maybe put this on hold and you, can you go call him? Can you bring him here? <laughs> What's the response? And they called the blind man saying, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. The same, the same people who were telling him to be quiet are now his best friend. The first time, have, have mercy. Hey, quiet, I can't hear, I can't, shut up. And all of a sudden, Jesus, I'll call him, I was gonna do that, and watch him. Hey, get up, best friend, I just heard you. you. You told me, shut up. No, that was my wife, she has a deep voice. No, I didn't, so, like, come with me. Guys, they're best friends. When all of a sudden, Jesus says, this is what I want, I'm all in. And watch what happens in verse 50. And throwing off his cloak. Guys, you know why that's so significant? Go back to chapter 10, start in verse 17. And, it was, and as he, Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You ever wonder if Jesus has a hard time focusing? The question was what? Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is like, why are you calling me good? That wasn't the main point of the question. And yet Jesus throws it out there. Why do you call me good? Only God is good. Friends, do we accept that today? If Jesus walked up and said, there's nobody good except God alone. God is the only good there is. But do we really believe that? I remember I spoke at a camp. I remember which one. It might have been here. And I used to say this, but it got me into trouble when I did it. So I'd say something like, hey, guys, 
When you think of like a person who's had one of the worst impacts on the planet, and a person who has this amazing impact on the planet, who would you throw? And so over here, they like usually say, hey, like Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa. And then over here, they always went Hitler, which I feel like she should make the cut every time. Okay, so here's Hitler, here's Mother Teresa, and then there's one camp. I go, guys, who, again, they pick Mother Teresa, who's one of the worst? They go, one kid, bold, louder than everyone, like a Bartimaeus. Kids are saying, Lisa, he goes, Charlie Sheen. <laughs> I did that. Like, how do you recover? I'm like, I've never heard that ever. Hitler responsible for the six million killings of Jewish people. Charlie Sheen, party guy. Somehow he beat him out. I said, Charlie, really? Charlie Sheen? Guys, I'm passionate. Like, passionate. I said, I, I can't do that. I can't use that example. So I've never done that ever again. But picture, it's like, well, I'm no Hitler. I'm, and I'm no Mother Teresa, but I'm no Hitler. And what I'm hoping that you're not doing is not, you know, I'm no Hitler, but I might be rubbing shoulders. Because if that's the case, you need to find some help. So, but I'm no Hitler, but I'm not this good. At least I'm in the middle. We think that this is the standard. Friends, this is not the standard. Jesus is the standard. Jesus is perfect and righteous and glorious and holy. He's the only good. God is the only good. The rest of us, what do we deserve? Eternity away from him in hell. You ever wonder why Bartimaeus, he asked son of David, have what? Mercy on me, because I don't deserve anything. And here comes this rich young guy. Good teacher, what must I do? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Verse 19, you know the commandments. Do, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him the second time, teacher, wait a minute. First time he calls him good teacher. What happened the second time? Why doesn't he come back and go, good teacher? Remember, good teacher. Hey, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Can you imagine this man, all of a sudden, he's trying to figure out, who do I believe Jesus to be? If he says only God is good, oh, wait, I just called him good. He's going through his doctrinal statement. Jesus just starts lay, uh, laying out the commandments. And then the next time, he's got he's to make a statement to Jesus. Who do I really think you are? I don't believe you to be God. How do I know? Because he took out good. And he just calls him teacher. All these things I've kept from my youth. And Jesus looked at him, loved him. And I love that part. He loved him. He didn't recognize Jesus to be God. And Jesus' response to him was that he still loved him. And then he says this, you lack one thing. Remember, just one thing. You lack one thing. Now I'm going to count the things he lists after. Ready? Go sell all that you have. Give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. There's four things. Jesus, focus, focus. Eyes, eyes, ears, ears. Pay attention. Guys, what's the one thing? Here's what I think the one thing is. I think the one thing is this. He did not recognize Jesus to be God. And therefore, when Jesus says, I want you to go sell everything you have, could you have done that? Could I have done that? Can you imagine me driving home? I get this conviction. I just read this passage, get home, this is my wife, babe. I think Jesus is telling us to sell our whole house, everything in it. Really? And then everything we make on it, we're supposed to give that away. And don't you worry. We've got treasure in heaven. That's going to help now. And we're going to just go follow Jesus. Guys, would that be difficult? 
Watch the response of the man, though. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And isn't it amazing that when Bartimaeus was told, hey, come, he's calling you, it says he threw off his cloak, which was what? Everything he owned. The guy who had everything did not recognize the value of the one who was inviting him, and therefore went back to his stuff. And yet the blind guy who had nothing except a cloak, which was everything to him, when Jesus called him because he recognized who Jesus was, the blind guy recognized him as the Messiah. The rich young ruler just thought he was at least a prophet or maybe just a good teacher. But when the invitation for the rich young man, hey, come follow me, you're going to have everything you need, come follow me, I'm going to go back. But the guy who has nothing except his cloak stands up, chucks everything that he has. He springs up and chucks it all away. Why? Because he recognized the value of the invitation, because he recognized Jesus for who he was. Guys, the invitation is beyond value when we recognize that Jesus is beyond value. Spring up came to Jesus, verse 51. He said to him, what do you want me to do for you? Doesn't that seem obvious? Like, what do you want me to do for you? Imagine the blind guy just going, mm, just, just make me a sandwich. Like, it's just, I don't want to bug you. But he couldn't see. Why would Jesus ask the question? If he already knows, why would he ask the question? Same thing. Why pray if God already knows what you're going to say before you say it? Think before you think it. Why actually talk to him? Like, if he already knows, can't we just, let's just streamline this. Let's get this, as, let's get this quick as we can. Let's, let's get going. Like, he could be a lot faster, don't you think? I mean, Netflix, you can binge watch. You have everything instant. And you ever notice that Jesus is more interested in strolling with us than us just simply running for him? What does God require of you to act justly, to love mercy? Anybody know the next, next one? And to walk humbly with God, to walk, walk, stroll. He's not in a hurry. What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight. Guys, don't you, want, don't you ever wonder what this guy thought when all of a sudden he couldn't see and then he could? You ever wondered, like, when blind, someone who's blind from birth, I think this is in John chapter 9, wasn't he blind from birth? You ever wonder what he thought or felt? Has anyone ever seen the YouTube videos of the people who can't see color? And all of a sudden they go, they go to a doc, they go to doctor, they get these, or they get these special glasses, or a person that can, they can't hear, and then all of a sudden they hear their first sound. Guys, if you haven't, and like I don't do YouTube, just do YouTube for that. And if you don't cry a little bit through that, I know tough men. If you don't cry, your soul's dead. Like I don't understand it, guys. When you see people, they can't. I mean, you see grown just tough guys, and you put on their glasses, and all of a sudden they can see, and they and the and the family made sure there were balloons. They're holding all these massive amount of colored balloons. They're just holding them. And I'm like, that's a sweet touch. And they put them on, and then they go like this. Wait, what? And they just lose it. I remember watching this, this young woman who can't hear, and then they start working. They put the whatever. I, guys, I'm not the smartest pack in the box. As you can tell, I got an 880 in my, on my SAT. So it's really, Heartland's really picking the bottom of the barrel here. But like they, they have these implants, and, and they start to make the noise, and all of a sudden, boom, they can hear. <gasps> 
they just start crying and then they start talking to her and she's just in there. It's almost like, keep going, guys. Sometimes we take away the emotion of what these people experience. What did he think? Don't you think he stopped and looked at everything? And what did it feel like the first thing he saw would be the face of God? Man, that would have just blown my mind. He got to see God's face. It was immediate. Does God still work in the immediate? Does God still do this stuff? Because haven't you prayed and they still die? Haven't you prayed and the cancer got worse? Haven't you prayed and they, it still didn't turn out the way that you prayed? And there's a part when Jesus taught his disciples to pray when he said this, your kingdom come, your will be done. Friends, if we don't see the good in it yet, it's because he's not finished with it yet. Hang in there. But friends, he does work in the immediate. So we should keep asking. But how, show of hands, how many of you ever felt like, <laughs> I had someone I say, hey, could you pray for me? And they ask like specific prayer. And then you feel the pressure that you've got to get it done. Like it's now it's on you. That if you finish praying, they don't get healed. Like, uh-oh, it's going to look bad on me. Has anyone ever felt that? As a pastor, I do. It's like they're coming forward for prayer. I'm like, oh, crud. Wow, it's, <laughs> I really hope something happens. So I remember this one day, a young lady came forward, and I met her on a Thursday. Not met her. I saw her at a Thursday night service I was teaching at. The pastor didn't give us pastors any morning. This was years ago. He says, hey, the pastor's going to be up front ready to pray with you. And I'm like, don't even tell us. Just make it up. I have to look on Google to find a prayer. I'm just joking. I don't do that. So they, they come walking up, and I finally get to meet her. Name's Michelle. Her boyfriend's with her. And I said, well, tell me what's going on. She starts to tear up. I go, wow, this has got to be pretty serious. I'm thinking it's like death is coming. She goes, can you pray for my shoulder? And my first thought, and be honest, was not, oh, wow, I feel it. The first thing I thought was, really? Like you're crying over a shoulder? Like, I, I mean, I get it's painful, but it's like a tear thing? I didn't say that. Can you imagine I said it? You're crying over his shoulder, you was? Like, I didn't do that. And I, I think I played a poker face pretty well. I said, okay, yeah, sure. I can, I can pray for that. And, she's not, and I said, well, tell me what's going on here. She starts to bawl. I said, oh, there's something more to this. Tell me about this. And so she's trying to get through the crying and kind of talk at the same time. And she goes, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a PhD student at USC in physical therapy. And, and I went, oh, I get it. If God doesn't heal, you can't do what you've always wanted to do. <laughs> like, ah, oh, yeah, okay, I get it now. And so I brought the boyfriend in. I put my hand on her shoulder. I put my hand on her shoulder. Not hard. I didn't like, <laughs> that feel. I didn't do that. <laughs> but I just, this is all, and I started to pray. And this is the thought that came to my mind. This is a passage. Remember when Jesus in Matthew chapter 8, the leprous man comes walking up. And all the leprous man said was this, Jesus, if you want to, you can make me clean. Just a statement of faith, not begging, not prodding, please, 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 please. Just, Jesus, if you want to, you can. And so I just, this is all I said. Jesus, if you want to heal her shoulder, you can. Amen. I looked up, and the look on her face was kind of like, that's it? Like, you get paid for this? Yeah, I do. Maybe that's why I'm not very effective. I don't know. <laughs> and so I always ask, after I pray for, some, for, some, for someone's healing, I always say, hey, could you, could, are you feeling any better? Did it work? Did God heal you? And all of a sudden, she starts to move. She's like, I think it feels a little better. In my mind, I'm like, okay. So how about this? How about tomorrow? Email me. Tell me how you're doing. So I gave her my email address. 
Next, I totally forgot. I mean, honestly, I walked back in the office the next day, thinking I'm just going to get my work done like I normally did. All of a sudden, there's this email from her, and it is long. And I thought, this could be really good, or this could be really bad. And so I sat down, I started to read it, and this is one of the first, one of the first lines is this. Brian, last night's the first night in 10 years I've slept through the night with no pain. My response, I screamed. As loud as I can. <laughs> My assistant sitting outside. She goes, are you okay? I'm just reading emails. She's kind of used to it. So she's like, she's keeps going doing her stuff. <laughs> and so I keep going. I'm just reading all the things. She's just, it's almost just like a verbal vomit. <laughs> she's just going. And at the end, she made this statement and it hit me. She goes, even if it's just for one day, I know that God is able. Like, Young lady, she's like 24 at the time. Young lady, you have no clue how much you blessed me. So then I had to reply. And have you ever had someone send you a really long email that you feel the pressure has to be just as long or you don't care enough about them? So I'm like, oh, what do I say? Hey, long. Oh, hey, what's up? What's your favorite shrub? Like, I don't know what else to talk about. Do you have a favorite flower? How about a tree? What's your favorite day of the week? It's like, I'm just trying to make it as long as I can. But at the end, I was like, hey, Wednesday, send me another message. I want to see how you're doing. Wednesday, she forgot, so I, I, I remembered her response on Wednesday. Brian, I went swimming yesterday. It didn't hurt. I was like, what the? The next Thursday, a week later, I see her at the worship service in the evening. She goes, Brian, can I tell you what else happened? I'm like, I'm tired of your miraculous life. You just keep that to yourself. She said, of course. She goes, I went to my physical therapist, and he's all moving around like I'm Frankenstein. And I said, what did he say? And she said, seriously. She said, he looked at me and said, I don't understand it. It's like you never got hurt. You know what she's doing now? She's a physical therapist at one of the leading places called Casa Colina down in Pomona. Her dream job. And I've told her story for years as a way to bring glory to God, that God still works in the immediate. Why didn't he when I prayed the first time? Because maybe there's something better and greater that he's doing. Because remember Bart? We have no clue how long Bart's been broken. Do you think at any point he prayed that God would heal him and didn't experience it and didn't experience it and didn't experience it until Jesus said, this is the day. And can you imagine what it was like when Bart got up that morning and goes, I feel it, it's going to be today. Or did he just get up and going, here's another day. I'm going to go do the same thing. You know, it's, you know what it's called when we don't know what's going to happen, but God does? You know what it gives us? I think it's just going to be the same old day. And God's sitting there going, oh, you have no clue. You have no clue who I'm going to introduce you to. Immediately, he recovered his sight and watched this and followed him on the way. Now, here's the thing. Jesus, in verse 52, the beginning, says, go your way. Your faith has made you well. But after the guy can see, what's he do? He can go wherever he wants. He can, you go your way. He recovered his sight and followed Jesus on the way. In other words, this. Friends, when we realize what it is that Jesus has done, think about what he's done in your life. I'm not talking about the day-to-day -day stuff. I mean, just go to the cross. And we realize who he is and what he's called us to, which is himself. Friends, think about it. If he gives us no other blessing this side of heaven, it doesn't matter. Guys, here's the thing. It's like, oh, but heaven's going to be amazing. Is it? 
Like, it is. I believe you. I remember being asked this question when I was in college. I was in a chapel, and the guy up front said, hey, if you get to heaven and everything that heaven is, and people get so excited. We get excited about streets of gold. Why? Unless you're going to steal a brick and stick it in your mansion. Like, why do we care? Isn't it amazing that we think that is the most precious material, but in heaven, God uses it as asphalt. But everything that heaven's going to be, but he asked the question, imagine you go to heaven, it's just gnarly, it's amazing. But if Jesus weren't there, would you be bummed? And I remember sitting there as a 20 year old going, I still get his stuff though, right? I'd be bummed a little bit, but at least I get his stuff. And the work that God has done in my life in the last 28 years, that's right, 48. It's hard to believe it. Friends, here's heaven. Give me two chairs. One for me, one for Jesus. I care less about the rest. I don't care. I don't believe we get mansions. I think I have a room in his house. I don't want my own mansion. I have to clean it. I want to hang with him. Can you imagine just sitting there forever, just talking to Jesus about all that he's done? And then what if you get to sit and go, hey, could you take me for a tour of every star in the universe that you've ever created and tell me what you were thinking when you made it? Doesn't that sound fantastic? Because you recognize the value of the one who invited you. So this man, wherever Jesus was going, was where the man wanted to go. When Jesus says, go your way, the guy goes, I'm just going where you're going. I'm going where you go, because your way is my way. Who would ever do that? Followers of Jesus would do that. Guys, we're not called to get saved and wait for heaven. We're called first, do we want to follow Christ? And when we say yes, he gives us salvation. And then we get to walk with him the rest of our life and get to enjoy him for eternity and be enjoyed by him. Think about it. Raise a hand. The charismatic style, not Mennonite or Baptist, whatever you are. We're going to go charismatic. How many believe that God loves you without a shadow of that? You know God loves you. Charismatic style. Not halfway. Like, bam, I know this. Put it back down. Next question. How many believe without a shadow of doubt that God likes you? What do you mean? What? What do you mean by like? You mean like or like, 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 like? What do you mean by like? Guys, think about it. We just think that God's enduring us. He loves us because he has to, because God is love. And yet what, what did God call the people of Israel? The rebellious, stubborn little nation. He calls them, this is my treasured possession. Do you realize that at the proper time, it was God's good pleasure to save us? He loves us, enjoys us, likes us. And when we can get that, our identity is changed and shifted to where all of a sudden Jesus says, follow me, I'll drop everything to come after you because you gave up everything to come for me. Isn't that beautiful? What nice story. Do we have time? I think we're doing this right, right? I remember I was speaking at a camp and I finished and called kids to commit to Christ that night and I usually go sit in the back. I used to be the guy, ego-driven. I would stand in the front like, I'm the Messiah. Oh, God just ripped me apart for a long time. I sit in the back. I just love to watch as these kids work through things. But I, for some reason, I sat down. I was talking to one of the lead counselors, and I was sitting there, and this 15-year-old guy comes walking up. He's got tears coming down, and he's Ryan. Ryan, can I, <clears throat> can I ask you a question? Now, you ever, you ever tried to talk when you're crying and noises just come out? Any fathers of the bride, you've had to give that toast and just kind of, just kind of came out. So he comes up, he's like, can I just, can I just tell you something? 
said, sure. Like everything you just described, I, I don't feel worried. And I looked at him and I went, you're not. And his eyes got huge. It's like I had just broken his heart. Like I just said everything opposite what mama has always, you are, you are worthy. You are a worthy little boy. And here I'm going, you're not. And this is what he goes, okay, thanks. And he starts to walk away. And so I grabbed him. I said, no, no, come here. I'm not done. We're not done. So I said, just look at me. Watch, watch. We're not worthy. But the cross is God's declaration that you're worth it. And he got it. I said, dude, you're worth it. And when you can accept the fact that you are the beloved of God, that you are loved and liked, and that he called you before time began, like, he's going to get all doctrinal. I'm just going to go biblical. Guys, you realize that before the foundation of creation, that God called you before he created everything. Ephesians chapter 1, verses four, verse 4. It means before he said, let there be light, he said, let them be mine. He initiates, he woos, he calls, we respond. It all starts with him, it all ends with him. It's from grace to grace. It's by faith. And he gives us the faith necessary. Why? So nobody can boast about it by working for it. But we are his workmanship. Doesn't Ephesians 2.10 continue the thought of verses 8 and 9? For we are his workmanship, his masterpiece. That's what that word actually means. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. So what if today, a couple things. One. We're reminded of the value of the one who invited us. But two, because of the value of the invitation, we wake up every morning going, God, what are we doing today? What are we doing today? Because you've prepared in advance something you want me to do. What are we doing today? Do I get to meet Bart? Is Bart today? Is the miraculous today? We're going to close with one worship time. You can back up and let's pray. Let's pray together. Can we go old school? I don't know if you do this in your church. Um, what if we, in close, we stand as we pray? And we just remember, and as I pray, you pray. You don't need to do it. And again, this isn't sermon number two, I promise. But you talk to God. Something comes to your mind, you start talking to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reminder that I needed myself today. I need to be reminded of the value of the invitation that I've been given because of the value of the one who's invited me. I need to be reminded that as I make my drive back, as I make my drive back this afternoon, that maybe you're going to stop my four and a half hour drive so that I'll stop somewhere. And it might be out of my way to meet Bart. But I thank you also that at one moment in my life, God, I was Bart. And you said, call him. And you let me hear and you let me say, this is what I want you to do. And Jesus, I thank you that that's the kind of God that you are, that you'll ask us, what do you want me to do for you? And may we say the same words to those who are around us in this world. God, remind us that our battle is not against people. Our battle is against the spiritual forces of this dark world. May we go out with the gospel. God, we love you. We're so thankful for you. 
You're worthy. And I thank you that you tell us that we're worth it. We pray this in Jesus' name and everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you all more than you. But I need to share this because I had no no intention of coming up this weekend. My son works here. I'm proud of him, what he's doing. My family, I got my whole whole family's here, all kids. We all showed up. Hey. And we're driving up there and we're gonna turn on Dry Creek Road and uh here we go. Okay, fine, I'll bring him up. And there's this guy on the side of the road. And we drive on past Zoom, right? And this guy's waving his hands. Does he know me? I don't know. So we look in the rearview mirror. Nobody's coming, so I back up. He comes up with teary eyes. He says, I'm out of gas. And he continues and says, Somebody stole all my stuff. I was like, what is this? I don't know you. I don't know you. But everything you've been saying, I'm just, he blessed me. Because I allowed him to use me. I went and bought him some gas. We came back. My wife and I were like, oh, we got some water. Got some hard boiled eggs. <laughs> okay. Give him some cash, whatever I've got left in my wallet. And he was just bawling by this time. Thank you. Thank you. And before we left, hey, what's your name? Joshua. And that's all I know. I said, Where are you going? Well, Three Rivers. My dad's up there. Maybe one of you knows him. I don't know. Prayed with him. I said, Josh, you're going to be okay. Thank you, Lord. And it's not to look at me, but just to say, 